Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I am your co-host, Robert the Duke Fedoric. I am Corey CJ Wesley. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at Integrity Pro Consulting. Look, you know deployments aren't as easy as turning the switch. We all know this now. The uncomfortable truth is that everybody is going to experience significant change on every implementation, even if it's for the better. And what IPC specializes in on top of great service now implementations is managing and preparing an org for change. I feel like this is a really unique offering in the space and we're so proud to have them as our sponsor. And speaking of uncomfortable truths, what are we talking about today, Corey? Today we're talking about the hard truths and how they help you. Oh, what a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So one of the ways that I've always felt like I, I bring value to a project is having all of this, this storm knowledge, right, of all of these kind of unconventional, I, I want to call them tricks of the trade, but they're not really tricks of the trade. They're just kind of things that I've seen or things that I know from, from experience, some service now, some general experience, some IT experience, whatever, right, that I kind of bring to the table and, and influence a project based on just these little small aspects that aren't necessarily talked about very much, but if you understand them and you apply them in principle, can create a whole lot of value. Right. Yeah, the way I like to look at it is there's certain things that you know about the world, right? The world doesn't actually work like this. It works like that. Right. And just knowing that fundamental truth that isn't come out and explicitly said can help you manifest better realities. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. It can help you clear, clear the roadblocks, right, that kind of come up. And some of the discussion points that come up during the project that kind of lead to maybe sometimes, I, won't, I, I, I would hesitate to call them arguments, but, mm -hmm. you know, contentious discussions, right, can sometimes just be cleared away by bringing in some of this insight that you have from, you know, other places to really kind of level the playing field and, and really kind of clear the view for the, the ultimate solution and what you're trying to um, generate at the end of the day. Now, you and I know exactly what we're talking about here. So for the audience, let's start them off. What is a hard truth? Oh, man. So the first thing is nobody wants to go to your service portal. Yeah, nobody <laughs> wants to go to your portal. That's <laughs> everybody's like, <gasps> but it's true, right? Like, I mean, go and poll like all of the folks in your in your enterprise and ask them, are they waking up and they're getting to work? And the first thing they're thinking about is, I need to go check that service portal. <laughs> like, yep. like it's not, it's not happening. The folks in your, in your enterprise want to go get coffee. That's what they want to do. They don't want to go to the service portal. Once you know that, once you understand intrinsically, the service portal is something that you're building that will help them um, in their job, but it's not a destination that will attract them to it then you can start making better choices for how to actually use that portal as a tool to get work accomplished in the best possible way and make that experience the most usable for your folks. Yeah, it's always like nails on a chalkboard when people say, oh, service portals need to be like an Amazon experience because it's, it's not. It's no. fundamentally at, a fun, at an atomic level, it's not. Because when I go to Amazon, it's like, go to Amazon. I will actually pay on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> and then and, I receive Amazon to give this to to me. That's right, and I will receive value. And I'd say for the most part in the corporate world, it's go to the portal so that I can recover value. Right. Even That's if it's even if it's value I never had at first, right? But I should have had at right. first. Like get me this computer access. Well, shoot. We should know your role by now so well that we could just give you what you need. Yeah. But we didn't, so now you're asking access for. It. Exactly. So the best you can ever hope for is somebody who 
had an enjoyable experience or somebody who had a not bad experience in the process of getting something that they should have had or uh, need fixed. The, the service portal exists as friction because you didn't eliminate other friction somewhere else. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. If you had, had eliminated the friction of making decisions for new hires to be onboarded and the equipment to be automatically provisioned and d- delivered when they were scheduled to start and everything just to be there when they walk in first thing Monday morning, then the portal, right, at least the onboarding part of it wouldn't have a reason to exist. But because you didn't ex- because you didn't get rid of that initial friction, you had to create a second amount of friction. And right. all this not to say, oh, poo on you if you'd have just been doing your goddamn job right. You never need a service portal. <laughs> but, That's what we're saying. <laughs> but it's more a case of like, okay, we know we can't do everything perfectly and we know stuff fails. So we need people to come to places to initiate work. But knowing that the portal, like the purpose of the portal is not for its own sake, Right. Right. Like Amazon is. Amazon is there for its own sake. The portal is not. And so if you think about it that way, it allows you the mental space to think about, okay, like they're coming here to the portal so they can da da da. Now think back to catalysts. Is there a way I can detect the catalyst for them to come to the portal so that I can just automate what they need before they even have to come and request it and navigate the portal? Right. When you think about portals this way, it stops being a, a, a thing about, oh, let's put a whole bunch of fields in front of the customer so that we can report on stuff and more a case of like, no, let's just get them the minimum amount so they can get off the portal and do what they're supposed to be doing with their day. Exactly. So it's just recognition of the hard truth gives you mental space, mental power to approach. I don't want to call them real problem. What the, pro- pro- the portal solves a real problem, but there's a more fundamental way to solve these workflows Right. Yeah, absolutely. The portal absolutely solves a real problem and it exists because there's another problem somewhere that wasn't solved. And maybe in some cases, the portal is going to be the best way to solve this problem just overall. And that first problem you can't solve even after diving into your catalyst and and really kind of blueprinting everything out and Mm -hmm. trying to workflow at all. You just get to the point where our organization is too big and we just need people to go and ask us for things. And that's okay. Yeah. Right. In that situation, you want to build the best portal that you can build. So it's going to get people on and off of it as quickly as possible. Right. And then and hopefully it's a little pretty, too. So people don't complain about that. Yeah. But yeah. I also want to talk about Nathan Firth over at New Rocket. We had we talked about oh, yeah. this idea not too long ago. New Rocket. Gosh, not too long ago, like literally years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Where does the time how go, do you man? Know you're old, right? Not too long. Ago. It was only a couple of years. <laughs> Dude, I have been independent for six years and I can still remember the day that I walked out of my last job. So like it's <sighs> it still feels like yesterday. So I mean, I get it. <laughs> Anyways, so he had this brilliant idea of we know what things people need based off of the titles and positions that they have, but what if we could just get service portal to present the most likely things that they would consume from the catalog given their position? Absolutely. And I was like, that's so brilliant. You know, it's so brilliant. How come nobody else has thought about that? Anyways, again, being able to swallow that hard pill of nobody actually wants to go here opens up the space in your mind to consider stuff about, oh, it would make it way easier for them to have the things that they're most likely to consume right out the gate. 
versus, gosh, it would be easier for us if the customer would just pick the goddamn right thing from the three-tier category tree we present them with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I it, look, I'm still fighting the three-tier catalog thing and the two-tier t- catalog thing when it comes to the portal, when it comes to incident management, when it comes to anything, right? And I know you're Robert, uh, the, the, uh, the Duke, and don't ask me about category trees, uh, Fedoric. And so... <laughs> And so I always think about uh, think about you whenever I'm having these conversations with, with, with folks. And I tell them all the time, it's like, look, my context here, my lens is that I want your users on and off of this portal as quickly as possible, having told you that they have a problem. And mm-hmm. that's, that is the lens. And with that in mind, no, we only want maximum one drop down. And that drop down, this has to be very, very narrowly defined where our users will know exactly what to pick. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't give them something like uh, uh, some uh, generic bland reporting uh, uh, category. They don't care right. about that. What's the is it Oracle? Is it email? Right. Like, you know, give, give them something that's context sensitive and it fits. Anyway, tangent aside. No, no a, I mean, <laughs> at least that's an easier pill to swallow. Category trees suck. That's a hard <laughs> pill. <laughs> that's an easy one. OK, back to the hard pills. Are we done with this one, you think? 10 minutes in, we're still beating that horse. (laughs) Yeah, I I think we're done with this one. (laughs) Cool. All right, another hard truth. Nobody actually wants to work on tasks. It's true. It's a paradox because, gosh, that's what the platform is built for, is to quantify the work, Yep. automate the work, uh, flow out the work, but nobody wants to actually work on the tasks. And no, I'm not saying, oh, let's just not make tasks anymore. I'm not saying something stupid like that. It's just remember... Put this truth in your mind because it is true. And what benefits can we gain from that? What insights can be reaped? What postures can we take? And I'll I'll give you one right off the top of my bat. I don't know how many times I've been asked to put in solutions where it's just like, oh, we think we have a rerouting problem. So what we want to do is put this mandatory field on so that when you change the assignment group, you have to pick a category of assignment and then a description of what you... No! (laughs) (laughs) Like... I'm so focused on getting this problem solved, getting this workflow resolved, complete. I don't have time for your like petty analysis game. Yeah. Like, I, I, and I barely have time to get it done in service now. This is why I loved, one of the things I loved from day one was working from a list view. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't have to pull this thing up and it's saving me like a second each time. But if I'm doing a thousand of them, the time adds up. The frustration goes down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I'm former IT. You know, it's funny. People always say, hey, you got to open a ticket for that. We don't want to fucking work the ticket. (laughs) No. It's just the management somewhere told us that you can't do this work for the user unless they open the ticket. And so we say, hey, you got to open the ticket for that. And then they do. And then that ticket sits in our queue. We do the work, right? We watch them open the ticket. We do the work. And then a queue sits there for four weeks, (laughs) four weeks before we get around to closing it. Right. Yeah. And, and why is that? Because there's another 500 tickets in that queue as well for work that we've had to do because we're understaffed. Right. Because most companies look at IT like a cost center and not business value at, that they rightfully are. And so you're always playing catch up. You're always trying to split the day and take more of the day to build out what you can do. And so the last thing we want to do is the uninteresting stuff. 
And the uninteresting stuff is actually doing the fucking task in the in service. Now, look, I love service. Now I build this for all. I build these things day in and day out. And I evangelize. Right. That everyone needs to log the incident. They need to fill out the information in the incident. They need to resolve and they need to close and do all of those things. And I, and I firmly believe in that process. Right. Because I think it gives you data that helps mm-hmm. you know drive continuous improvement. But I'm also very keen in understanding that nobody actually wants to do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and it just, it, again, it's not like, let's not do tasks. It's a posture that assists you in making architectural decisions. And I, the way I look at it is, well, I have two kind of comments here. One is you got to think about like everything that you have to do on the task has to buy you something. Okay. We live in a world where incidents basically have to have a short description of customer, a, uh, a link to a CI or a service and who yep. it's assigned to. And that's kind of like the prototypical primitive task. But we we know that each of those things helps buy us something critical. Who it's for, we have to make them happy, right? Yep. What it is, like the short description, critical. Otherwise, we otherwise we're blind. Right. Who it's assigned to is who's accountable for it. But we know that without these, the whole thing collapses. It's too hard to do without. But there's some area where it becomes too much. Like everything that you're adding is not buying you critical value. Nobody, no customer gives a crap that you think it's been reassigned too many times. Right. And they don't want to see the petty analysis that you do. Anything that you're adding to the form to see if you can work out the reasons behind an internal thing, I think is just like getting you into mistake territory. So it's just like, let this be a posture for you when you're thinking about what do what else should we ask? You should be thinking about what else can we not ask? <laughs> yeah. What can we find? And I, I'll just ask you to have this mental experiment. Not that I'm a Tinder user, but can you imagine being a Tinder user and you're like, swipe left. And they're like, why did you swipe left? Fill out these two categories. <laughs> right? I'm like, uh, right. Uh, let me see. Like aesthetics. And then, like, <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Oh man. Think of, think of all the useful things that Tinder could ask you, but they don't because to them, the thing they're buying is immediacy. Man, we're going to drill down in, into this one actually because I feel like Tinder maximized their UI and UX, right? Like they knew exactly what they needed and they mm-hmm. built they built the system to only give them what they needed. Right? They needed to know whether or not user A and user B like each other. And they moved everything else out of the way, everything else out of the way. And they said, all right, so you're going to look at pictures and profiles and you're going to swipe one way if you like this person and swipe another way if you don't. And eventually, if you happen to meet up with somebody else who swiped the same way that you did, boom, match. And now all of a sudden you can have access to the full immersive kind of experience. And I'm assuming that's the the way this works. I've never used the app. But I do. I mean, everyone knows swipe left, swipe left and swipe yeah, right. Yeah, it's a meme now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, think about that when you're building out incident management or any kind of task management. And when you're building that out and you're presenting this to the person who's actually going to do the work, think about presenting them only the items that they actually need to do the work. Yeah. And if there's any possibility of automating anything else that would help them, that doesn't cause them any additional time, absolutely do that. But present the bare minimum, right? The MVP, essentially, yeah. to get through that task. Yeah. That's, what, that's what you need. Like we're saying with Tinder, there is a thousand things that they could ask you. 
You know what I mean? And they could find out all kinds of insightful things and maybe it would improve relationships or success rates. But they're like, nope, the thing that we're here to do is find instantaneous connection, right? Right. Anyways, nobody <laughs> actually wants to work on tasks. And it's not saying don't don't burn down the task infrastructure. We don't need that. Right. But let it be a posture for you going forward. Absolutely. There's no way you're going to make people like doing this anymore. Just get that out of your head. <laughs> who, who likes to actually sit down, sit down and actually fill think, out any, any, any kind of form? I, I think does. the only people that are like that are people who had to work out of email before. You know yeah. what I mean? And they're like, yeah. holy cow, it's all in one spot again. But that'll last for about a month. Yeah, exactly. And then they'll be like, how do I get the administrative data part of it done as fast as possible. Oh, you want to pick, you want me to pick like two different flavors of clothes, closing category, closing subcategory. Yeah. Like, no, thank oh, you. Yes. It might be insightful, but does it help everybody? And, and, and is it accurate? Yeah. Is it accurate? Right. Because now, I mean, you can hear our frustration. We're not even doing this right now, but yeah. you can hear our frustration with like a closing category, um, ca- um, category and closing subcategory, right? Like yep. I'm thinking right here in my head, I'd probably just going to pick some random things. And you know, the other, yeah, other, (laughs) yeah, other, right? (laughs) The catch all. Oh, man. Yeah. So, how many people do you think are doing that day to day in their actual jobs, right? Enough to throw off your analytics. Mm -hmm. Focus in on the things that actually can help and throw away the things that don't. So, so the next one is there's no substitute for expertise, Mm. right? And so, when I say that, what I mean by that is nine junior engineers. Don't add up to one senior engineer. Like that. Say expertise. it again, man. Say it. <laughs> for those in the back. <laughs> for, for those in the back who don't hear me now. Now, now check this out. <laughs> no, but nine junior engineers don't add up to the experience, the wealth of knowledge, and and everything that uh, one senior engineer brings to the table. So there's the ability to take small units of work that aren't very advanced, right, and parse them out over a, a large number of people. If if that's the type of work that's prominent in your organization, then yeah, maybe you need a, a bunch of junior engineers rather than a senior engineer. But if you're actually trying to get drive a project to its goal, right, you're trying to implement something and get it done and get it done well, like just having one senior engineer on it who's been around the block a few different times, who's seen these things happen, who has relationships and networks and knows how to actually implement and execute and knows how to call out the, the potholes in the road as the, before you fall into them. Just having that one person on staff and available on that project, let me tell you. <laughs> or accessible. Like it doesn't have to be like on staff, right? But yeah. accessible. Accessible. Like you, you yeah. Freelance vendor agnostic architect in there or something. Right. You um, just, a, a phone call away, essentially, right? Or an email, you know, and, and just having that person available who can course correct and who, yeah. who has a little bit more of a viewpoint than you do. I, I had this, this exact conversation yesterday with a company that had lost their architect and they have all these really high aspirations and they're like, well, we're, good, we're just going to fill the role with the person who is newly that person's junior and then <laughs> we'll kind of like train them up. I'm like, okay, but okay. I, I get that and it's yeah. a valid strategy for some things, but not in the architecture sense. Right. Like if the architect is there to, to lay the foundation and the guardrails so that this thing grows properly, you want somebody who knows the pitfalls, right? Who doesn't just talk about the best practice, has seen the best practice. You don't want the junior resource learning the hard lessons, building your foundation. Yeah, this is a situation where you want to bring in a, a senior from outside, right? Yeah. 
and not necessarily you don't have to hire that person, right? You can bring, you can still promote well, that junior from within, but give them some help. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever the case may be is just, where do you want your expertise, right? There's the point expertise about, Hey, what's the best way to set up this one catalog item? And in, in those cases, maybe you can suffer the risks of having rookies discover, right? But if it's like, Hey, we just sunk $2 million into this app and we have to have an ROI by this timeline. And we plan on implementing these six things on a rapid time schedule. That's the case where it's super important that you realize that no amount of juniors make a senior. Yeah, man, let me tell you, right? Because you, what you just said, they just struck an, uh, a chord with me. Um, I see this all the time and I hear about it all the time. A new company just bought ServiceNow. Nobody on staff knows anything about ServiceNow. They got it, you know, but they have an IT department, right? And so what they're going to do is they, they spent a million bucks and they decided that the IT team with no ServiceNow experience, no ITSM experience, no ITL certified folks are going to implement ServiceNow in this, you know, new, um, in, in, into their organization, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a, a, a classic situation of nine juniors don't make a senior, right? Yeah. Because these folks are going to flounder, they're IT fo- folks, so they're going to figure out the mechanics of implementing ServiceNow, but they're not going to have any of the experience, the heartfelt lessons of what it takes to implement the product to make it scalable, successful, you know, and sustainable. They're not going to be able to do any of those things. And so fast forward six months, you're going to have a product in there that's quote unquote ServiceNow, and most of the people in, in IT are going to hate it. Most of the people using the product are going to hate it, right? And because, again, you didn't have any expertise on how to actually build it out successfully. Mm-hmm. People aren't interchangeable, right? Like you can't just uh, unplug one person and plug in another person and think you're going to come away with the same result. It just doesn't happen. Some things right. require expertise. This will tie into things we said earlier on too, like back in, I think, the first episode with the slash dilemma. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Get me get me like a, an admin who could do all the everyday stuff, but also advise us on the really important road mapping and pitfalls of a broad vision for the application. Like, well, like <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if I was yep. a electrician and I could do lawn maintenance, if you call me for lawn maintenance, what rate do you think you're gonna get? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. Brilliant. That is absolutely <laughs> brilliant. I mean it, it yeah. <laughs> Okay, want another hard truth? Go for it, man. We'll try not to wax on this one because we've said it like a hundred million times already, but process is not natural. Don't think for one second you're going to put a a process flow on a slide, push that through a presentation deck with everybody on there, and then on day two, everybody's working that process. (laughs) It's not natural. And again, we'll just do the metaphors real quick. If you look at a protest, all politics aside for a second, here's a bunch of people who are super highly ideologically aligned. They all want the same things. They're super, super passionate about it. They're like putting themselves at risk. They're taking time off work to go out and be with all these other people. But what's the best thing you can make them do? Maybe line up, maybe walk in the same direction, maybe chant the same thing, maybe right. for, a little, for a little while. But then you get a marching band in there and the marching band's like, hey, let's play different instruments in each other's ear and miraculously it's all going to be the same song. At the same yeah. time, everybody marching completely in time, looking uniform and oh, we got to turn left. Everybody turn left around this corner. Magic. okay but that's though facts yeah but that didn't come like they didn't just they didn't just show up and decide that was that was like weeks of drill months of drill process is drill and process isn't natural it takes time and energy and sweat and practice and labor and that like again it's a hard truth but let it be a posture 
So the next time in your room saying this is going to be the process, remember, maybe not everybody's minds and consciousness, but everybody's bodies are going, no, hell no. Fuck. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to like, I'm just going to go back to my desk and see what's the next thing in my email or what, which of these do I feel like I'm most resonate with? And that's the one I'm going to go with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every, everybody wants to skip the work and get the outcome, right? But you, you can't do that. Like there's a stage there of training that has to happen yeah. in order for you to mentally, subconsciously be able to skip the work and get to the outcome. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also like, it's got to be enforced. There's got to be carrots and sticks, yeah. right? You've got you've got to have a visceral gut level understanding of why you are doing this. Like the yes. band people don't show up and practice for months on end only to say, oh, we're playing this song. I've never heard this song before. Right? Oh, we're marching in a straight line. I've never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> they know why they're there. You know, yes. they're going to march at this event, this song in time, bam. But go to the help desk and ask people what the difference between incident and change may Like, why are they doing it? Well, because people are calling it. No. Yeah. Like they don't know the purpose. What is the process measuring? What is it preventing? What values are providing? Totally went on a rant there. No, man, but you're absolutely right, though. You know, I always say when I'm when I'm building reports for folks, you know, I like to start at the end and work my way back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, you know, I feel like this is the same thing when you're training process. Right. You need to start at the end. This is what the end looks like. Let me let's work our way back here and tell you why we actually need to do these things that I'm going to tell you we need to do, because this is the end result that we want to achieve. But I got to get you to buy into this end result first before you before you're actually willing to put in the work to get there. I mean, it's hundred percent spot on, but again, folks always think that they can shortcut the work and, and you can't like, I mean, it's really three words, do the work you have to, um, because you can't shortcut it. And that process has to be omnipresent too. Like, oh, yeah. I think people just like at the start of, how many times have you seen this too? Like at the start of a project, there's a one process consultant and they're like, here's the wireframe swim lane diagram. You know, and it's like it drills into node after node after node after node. And then that sits on a SharePoint somewhere. And the people who are actually running that process don't ever see it. Never see it. And those folks and and that one guy who came in with the with that wireframe PowerPoint swim lane thing, you never see from hear from him again on the project that he Mm kind of gets like banished again to the basement or whatever. And yeah, nobody knows what the hell they're building at that point. Right. Like somebody put together a bunch of stories and everyone's building stories, but nobody has no concept of the whole or the reason behind it. Like it's. Like, yeah, Duke, it's ridiculous. Like, honestly, I'm, I'm going to go on a bit of a <laughs> a bit of a rant here because it, it kind of pisses me off, too, because my, my thing is always value. Right. To me, when you call me in into any project, the idea is that I'm going to give you value that you're going to use for your business. And I want to walk away from that, knowing that I helped you succeed in some way. Right. And hopefully I helped you succeed to a greater extent than what you feel like you paid me. Right. Because that's always my goal. It's always my goal to walk away from a project feeling like you guys got more out of this than I did. But you can't do that if not everyone's bought in on the actual process of getting there. Not If not everyone's bought in on the outcome, right? If not everyone's bought in on actually doing the work. Like, I mean, it's just got to happen. And yeah. I just feel like there's so many people looking to take these shortcuts now and thinking that just because we have service now, we've already solved the problem. No, this is the start of the solution. It's mm. not the end. When I see a really complex process laid out, I think about, oh, well, this works in manufacturing and at in, in industrial scales, right? When you think about big engineering tasks, like they have these flow diagrams and stuff, but for the most part, they're dealing with machines. They're yeah. not dealing with people. Yep. You try and get a people to understand a process that's got like 28 nodes on it. Like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> the folks so at the 
We're yeah, the folks in the people. factory, Duke, they just know what comes to them and what go and what leaves from them. Yeah, the people components are super <laughs> simple, right? I mean, yeah, not to take anything away from them, like they they still have to like watch out for quality and all that kind of stuff. But the process as a whole has a ton of like real automation, bro. industrial automation, not our IT scale automation. Like yeah, their process is like why records. <laughs> like they run because that's how the shop is set up. Right. You can't take that same complexity and then drop it into a service desk and say, well, this is how incident management works. All 28 nodes of the process is like, what? No. It, it's 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 way too complicated. Got to simplify. I, I, and I, I, like, I don't have a solution for it. Like, I'm not saying, oh, I could come in there and make a really easy incident management process. I'm saying it's a hard truth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a hard truth. Wow, and- we totally went on a tangent here. I don't know which one we're on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we we kind of we kind of got in the weeds oh, on that one. Process that, yeah. isn't natural. Yeah, yeah so. process isn't natural. Absolutely, but I mean, we just kind of got in the weeds on that one. But uh, but I, honestly, I mean, it's it's funny how often we talk about this one. And funny the fact that we can continue to talk about this one mm-hmm. so often because one, you know, we just don't see enough of it out out in the wild. And two, like there's so much value to be gained from it, right? Like if once you acknowledge this forbidden truth. Mm-hmm. All right, what we got next, Duke? Let's see. I got one. What's the that? myth of the out-of-the-box service now implementation. Mm. Oh, man. Oh, so, I think, yeah. I, the, okay, go ahead. St- start us off. <laughs> <laughs> I got a sub point in here that's killer. <laughs> so, I mean, we've talked about this one before. We've had Travis on the on the show, and we talked about mm-hmm. like out of, what's out-of-box out and what is and what's configuration and what's customization and all that. I'm just here to tell you that if you want ServiceNow to work well for you, then you're going to have to get under, get under the hood with a wrench and tune it. I mean, it is a great platform, a stupendous, amazing platform, right? It can do practically anything you want it to do. In fact, I always tell my clients, it's not whether, it's not if ServiceNow can do what you're asking me to do, is whether or not we should make it do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's really the my bellwether on whether or not something needs to exist inside of ServiceNow or somewhere else. But when it comes down to it, I've never done an implementation where I didn't have to grab the wrench and get under the hood, yeah. right? And, you know, there's just no way around it. So this whole out of the box thing, and I get it, I get what, where it came from. There were some bad days back in the day, right, where, you know, there was way too much customization going on in the ecosystem. And, yeah. you know, folks would come behind some uh, some folks in eight months down the line. And the only the only hope was to reboot the system because things were done and weren't documented. Nobody knew where you were in the system and you just couldn't build on top of it. Like the whole house, the foundation yeah. was was just horrible, right? And so you, you had no choice but to knock it down and rebuild it. I think people are struggling to find a simple way to determine complex things. Like when I did a big ITBM implementation and internal billing was premier importance. They had to validate the time that their contractors were putting in via time cards. Right. But they couldn't do it with the current time card solution because time cards were only measured in days of the week. Right. Like you couldn't get Tuesday, August 31st. You could only get Tuesday on a time card that spanned the week of the 29th to the 3rd. Right. And so it's like, what's the monthly outlay for this labor? Oh, I don't know. Some I've got to somehow break up that last week into two time cards. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was like, <laughs> it was non-negotiable. They had yep. to have time card days. Yep. It's like, what are they going to do? ServiceNow did it six months later. Were they supposed to wait for six months, not do billing? So sometimes you just have to. But I think in people's desperation to have a simple way to say, oh, this is something that's not out of box that you should do versus something that's not out of box that you shouldn't do. 
they use that metaphor of configuration versus customization. And right. this is the thing I find hilarious sometimes because I've seen it three or four times in the past quarter, I'd say, where people are like, oh, no, 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 no. To get this, you're going to have to customize X. And they're like, no, 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 we don't customize. Uh, can you just do it with configuration? Configure X instead of customization. Uh, I'm like, uh, oh, you flipped the word around. Oh, no, you're right. Magic. Let's just. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We'll just configure that. No, don't, don't, no problem. Right. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And they just think by saying it differently suddenly changes the whole paradigm. Man, let me ask you a question, Duke. So if I build, uh, if I build a customization, but I expose the way to control it through system properties that are now configurations, which one is it? Yeah, it's not it's not black and white, is it? Right? Yeah. Like, you know, if the variables are, you know, need to be changed, but you could do that by adjusting the system property or data in a table, right? It doesn't require you changing yeah. the code. Are we, are we now at the point where we're doing configuration because it's data driven? It's data is a data driven implementation at that point. So maybe maybe now we're configuring and not customizing. And, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of word games you can play with this. But I think at the end of the day, right, like we get to the point where you can't implement, you can't get the value out of ServiceNow for 90, for most of the use cases that you yeah, need. Totally. Without, yeah, without getting under the hood with the wrench. All so, right, we got time for one more? Yeah, absolutely. What do you got? Okay, shortcuts are permanent. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, okay. And again, they're just hard truths, right? It's not like you have to stop doing things this way because I've put in shortcuts. I've done the expedient thing versus the pristinely designed thing. I've done it like lots of times. But yeah. it's just be mindful that they are permanent or permanent enough to say that they're permanent. So an example of this is we don't really have time to look at all the different workflows that we do. So let's just put a generic service request in. For now, for now, we'll come back to it and we'll get rid of it and we'll put like a whole bunch of other stuff in its place. But then it's like you're a year in and you're like, gosh, I wish there was something do we do about generic service requests? Yes, like let's design our top 10, 15 different workflows. Oh, but no, people will just keep on going to generic service requests. So maybe what we'll do then is we'll just make a category tree on generic service requests and that will help us understand what kind of request it is. And then we'll start putting all kinds of scripts in the workflow so we know what kind of group it should go to based off the request. And then all of a sudden it's like a year after that, you've got this horribly mutated, hyper-complex generic service request because of that one time you said yeah. we're not like... And then you just want to take it outside and shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> and... I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I don't have an answer to this. <laughs> it's just a hard truth. Yeah. And, and you know, this one spans the, the entire software development ecosystem, I think. There's a saying, if you don't have time to build it right now, you won't have time to fix it later. And that's, that's something you should take to heart. To know that whenever you're implementing one of these patches, one of these workarounds, one of these shortcuts, that that shortcut patch or workaround is likely to outlive you in that place. So, so choose wisely. Choose wisely when you're short, when you're shortcutting. Pick something that you know will be okay in three years if we're still doing this workaround. But don't don't do it with something that's important, something that you absolutely feel is mission critical or will eventually need to be expanded or will you'll derive a lot of insight from. Don't take the shortcuts there. Take the short, shortcuts around the edges where the value proposition there is much, much more reasonable, right? Yeah. You don't necessarily care if this little arbitrary process on the edge of your incident management process requires six extra clicks because you only use it four times a year. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. 
All right, folks, that's all we have time for today. If you want to reach out to us, Corey, how would they get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can reach me on LinkedIn at Corey Wesley, or you can reach me at my website, techvoyant.com. Techvoyant.com you know, has a few different options there in terms of the things that we do, but ultimately what we do is service now. So if you have any kind of service now, questions, concerns, suggestions, help, need it, what have you, if you need you know, someone to come, come in and, and be a architect for a bit, <laughs> or if you need someone to come in and, and build, you know, build out your platform from the ground up, I'm your guy. Reach out to me on techvoyant.com or LinkedIn. And you can reach me at my brand new website, theduke.digital. Both of our websites will be in the description below. So don't be afraid to click those. Theduke.digital has links to this podcast, my YouTube channel, my contact me page, and my upcoming product, Hired, the definitive guide to profiles that win ServiceNow jobs. Be sure to give us a like and share if you enjoyed this content, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.